We've been framing our series around this quote by G. Campbell Morgan, that we cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow on his people once again. Do you feel the wind of heaven? Do you feel it? I mean, I feel it here at Northfield. There's this story of a soap manufacturer and a pastor, and they're walking together down a street in a large city. And this soap manufacturer casually says, the gospel you preach hasn't done much good, has it? Just observe. There's still a lot of wickedness in the world and a lot of wicked people too. The pastor made no reply until they passed the dirty child making mud pies in the gutter. Seizing the opportunity, the pastor said, I see that soap hasn't done much good to the world either. There's so much dirt and many dirty people around. And this soap manufacturer, the soap man said, well, soap is only useful if it's applied. And the pastor said, exactly. The same with the gospel. See, the question, my friends, is how do we apply the gospel? Our text this morning is going to be taken from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, and we're going to do verses 1 to 6. You are familiar with this. You know this passage. You know this story. Stay alert. Don't tune it out because you're familiar with it. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out from Jerusalem and all of Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Confessing their sins. See, the NIV, or sorry, the New New King James Version and the King James Version says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, if something's at hand, I can reach for it. Here is this man out in the Judean wilderness, looking rather peculiar. I'm sure that people talked about his appearance and his diet, but he was calling for something. He was actually calling for preparation. This is an intentional time. Prepare yourselves. Get ready. And that call, that call to the people is the same call to us today. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back And he is coming back soon. We have been warned. 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. He is coming back. Do you think about that? So John's call is to prepare. See, in John's day, Jesus was going to come on the scene for the first time. But you and I know how all of that went. We have the benefit of the scriptures. We can read through the ministry of our Lord. We know about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You and I know that we serve a risen Lord today. But the call to prepare because his kingdom is at hand remains for us. Because his second Advent is imminent. The call to prepare, to prepare your heart. See, John's message was, hey, you, John's message was not, hey, you no good, dirty sinner. His message was the Messiah King is coming. Get ready. Get ready. So I want to ask you a question. And you're going to answer it between you and the Lord. In all honesty, are you ready to face Jesus? Are you prayed up? Confessed up? Restored up? We blew the shofar. This morning. But what happens if the heavenly shofar is blown before this service is over? Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before the Almighty? Are you prepared? Are you really prepared? I don't mean the appearance of preparedness. But in the secret place, are you prepared? In the hidden place, are you prepared? That is the call. Are you ready for the king because he's coming? See, loved ones, Jesus is all-consuming. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And that everlasting love is all-consuming. But you need to hear me today that there is nothing that is walled off from him. There is nothing that you can hide. There is nothing that he does not know. There is nothing about you that is not on full display to him. Are you prepared? If you are not aligned with him, it's preparation day. Whether the sin is secret or, or overt, it is preparation day. This is not a call of an emotional response. It's a call to action. 
So who is this guy in the wilderness? Besides being very peculiar to our senses. We don't know a whole lot about John the Baptist. We know that he was this promise to a barren old couple. We, we know that his dad had some doubt and was muted for a period of time. We know that his mother, Elizabeth, was a cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we know about the pregnancy his mother had because Mary went to be with Elizabeth for a season. We have nothing in Scripture that tells us that that these two boys born to these cousins knew each other. John was a bit older than Jesus. We have nothing that indicates that they had met prior to Jesus coming upon John in the wilderness. What we do know is that the Lord had connected this miraculous child in Elizabeth's womb to a prophecy in Isaiah. And it was actually Isaiah 40. And it's quoted by Matthew, a voice of one calling in the wilderness to prepare for the Lord, make straight the desert highway for our God. That prophecy was spoken And John the Baptist became this fulfillment of it. He was one like Elijah. He was not Elijah. He did not go about trying to be like Elijah, even though they seem to have dressed similar. You can check that out in the Old Testament. But he had a call on his life to prepare a way for the Lord. A calling people out. To get ready for the kingdom of God is at hand. One commentary writer says this. He said, baptism was for sinners. And no Jew would ever conceive him or herself as a sinner shut out from God. All right, so picture the Judean wilderness. And we know people are flocking to John's message. And it's bearing fruit. But baptism for the Jews was not a practice for them personally. Because see, for the first time in their national history, the Jewish people were realizing their own sin and their need for God. This commentary writer continues to say, never before had there been such a unique national movement of penance and a search for God. See, revival was beginning. While John's baptism was a ceremonial immersion in water, you and I today, our baptism is different. If, we've, if you've been baptized, if you've been immersed, we are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. But in John's day, baptism was a cleansing, and it was something that Gentiles who had come to faith in Yahweh would go through. It was a ritual, ceremonial cleansing. 
So our Jewish brothers and sisters in the first century did not practice baptism for themselves. It was for the convert. But this peculiar thing is happening in the wilderness. They're flocking to John. They are flocking to this message of be prepared. And John is calling them out for confession of personal sin. This was new. See, Israel as a nation would have at collective times done collective confession. They confessed as a nation. And there would be seasons where there would be a call for personal confession. But it was organized and orderly. And here you have spontaneous confession happening. This was new. This was not a normal occurrence. The one like Elijah. Out in the wilderness. Declaring that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And that the people of God were to respond. They were to prepare themselves. They were to repent. This one's going to hurt. One commentary writer modernizes John's words with this. You know what you people are. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. You go to church on Sunday, but then you forget about God the rest of the week. You're living a double life. You say that you belong to God, but then you secretly go indulge in all kinds of sinful pleasures. You live in your nice big house and drive around in your fancy cars, but you never do anything to help the poor. You snakes. Do you really think that God is going to save you just because you've been baptized or belong to an evangelical church? Listen, unless you turn away from your sins... You're going straight to hell. I've no doubt that those words are offensive to some of you. I hope we all find them unsettling. But the truth, my friends, is is that we have watered down the gospel so much. The truth is, is that we have embraced we have embraced and frankly prefer, let's be honest, we prefer an ear-tickling, conscious, soothing gospel. We prefer to hear that we're doing good. We prefer to hear that if you need it, you should have it. We prefer to hear that, hey, that compromise, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. We prefer to hear, if you need it, you should have it. We prefer to hear that God wants you to be happy. Why would he deny you that, that relationship, that thing? He wants you to be happy. But that's not the gospel. See, here's the honest and hard truth. Throughout the New Testament, Every time the gospel is preached, it begins with repent. See your sin. 
see it, and turn. Make a different choice. It's not see it and feel bad. It is see it and turn. See, repentance is not a feeling word. It's an action word. And dare I say that we far more prefer it to be a feeling word. We would rather feel bad about our sin in the moment and then move on with our sin bringing God along. But it doesn't work that way. Sin is just as rampant in the people of God as it is in the world. We wonder, we wonder why we don't look any different. It's because we choose to have our ears tickled. It's because we would rather feel good about ourselves. It's because we measure our success as Christians based on those around us, as opposed to looking at our king. See, repent was the first word of John the Baptist's message. Repent. When Jesus began to preach, he declared, repent. When the 12 disciples started their ministry in Mark 6, they began with repent. The first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to the, his disciples after his resurrection was repent. When Paul first declared the gospel, he began with repent. See, God loves you. He loves you exactly where you are. And in his mercy and in his kindness, he, he unveils himself to us. He makes himself known. See, I was, I was a sinner. I didn't know Jesus. And he, he came into my life. He made himself known and then called me to repent. Called me to make different decisions. To turn, to change my mind to redirect my course. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, repentance is ultimate honesty. To repent means to change one's mind and one's purpose. Loved ones, for us as a church, we are fooling ourselves if we believe that we can add Jesus to our life and not subtract sin. Simply changing our belief, simply saying we believe in God is not enough. Our behavior has to change. If you believe and you do not change, you've gained nothing. In fact, you will lose everything. See, repentance is the sign that we truly understand everything that Jesus has done for us. See, you were lost in the kingdom of darkness. You were born into a world that lies, that intimidates. You were born into a world that deceives and entices. You were born into a world where the devil himself is thrilled to pretend to be an angel of light. He likes to imitate God. 
He likes to soothe our conscience. But he cannot redeem you. He cannot take what is evil and make it good. He cannot take what is unrighteous and make it righteous. See, we were, we were born into a world of lies. Lies that if you want it, you should have it. If it makes you feel good, you should do it. And we buy the lie, lie after lie after lie. And we might attend church every week. We might be the best volunteer. But there's a really good chance we're still buying the lie. We're buying deception after deception. And the truth is, is that you and I have no ability to rescue ourselves. We are hopelessly lost. We are hopelessly lost in need of being rescued in need of being saved, in need of a Savior. We need a Savior because we are stuck in the bondage of lies and deception. We are stuck with the God of self. And so when we see Jesus and our eyes are truly opened and we see all that he's done for us, then the natural response is to pour it out, to be honest about all of the filth, all of the wrong choices, all of the things, to be grieved, yes, but to make a decision to turn. It is Jesus who steps in and creates our way out. But loved ones, the only way forward is to truly see the truth of our sin. Jesus loves you. Period. Hard stop. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He loves you. But he also loves everybody out there. He loves the most vile. He loves the most broken. He loves his image bearers. But when you truly understand that, and you open your life to receive his love, you want to be right with him. See, John goes on to talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about, about bearing fruit, keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Let's get real for a moment. Repentance is not an active part of church life. Is it an active part of your daily life? See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer there said repentance is ultimate honesty. It's not simply about feeling bad. It's about changing your ways, to change your mind, to change your thinking, 
Repentance is not moaning and remorse. It's turning and changing. True repentance is turning and changing your actions and changing your mind. It's not just, I feel bad about that. It's, I got to change that. I can't be that person. I can't keep walking that path. I can't keep satisfying myself in this way. Because it does not honor God. This morning, the invitation to us is to turn. To turn away from our sin and turn toward God. We had a message this morning. And I don't know if you caught it, but repeatedly it was a call to turn. See, that word was for us collectively to edify us as the body. But that word was confirmation for me that this is what we need to hear. Northview has a history. Not in my notes. Northview has a history. And some of you have been part of that history from the beginning. I'm part of the present and I am part of the past. And we haven't always got it right as a church. We haven't. Our leaders haven't always got it right. And that's not special to us. But it is the truth. It is the truth. And we have to repent. See, we have to love each other enough to hold each other up. To hold each other up to the standard of Scripture. To hold each other up to the standard of Christ. Not to our standard. Not to what is easy for us. Now listen, the risk here is that we become complete legalists. And that's not happening. Because we serve a God of mercy and of grace. But see, we, we can't know the depth of his love without understanding his wrath. God hates sin. He is absolutely intolerant of it. But you need to understand why. He is absolutely intolerant of sin because he loves you. 
because he knows who you can be. Because he knows who he created you to be. Watchman Nee says that people who cover their faults and excuse themselves do not have a repented spirit. People who cover their faults and make excuses for themselves do not have a repented spirit. Is that you today? This is not embarrassing. Do not believe the lie that is coming upon you as you hear this, that, oh, I, I, no, not me. Yes, you. Yes, me. Yes, us, presently and historically. No excuses. No covering it up. God does not give us a spirit of shame. He does not shame us. He loves us. He prompts us. He walks with us. He does not forsake us. He will not abandon us. But he will lead us in all truth. And that's the truth about who you are. As much as it is about the truth of who he is. This is about freedom. This is about wholeness and this is about forgiveness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Please and thank you. Loved ones, this is about becoming who you were created to be. This is about Northview becoming who we were called to be. Our past does not define us. Our God defines us. He has promised that if we repent, that he will hear us and he will restore us. The only thing in the way of that is you. Because if we keep making excuses, if we keep dismissing our faults, then we do not have a spirit of repentance. And without a spirit of repentance, the Lord cannot do what he wants to do in our midst. Because he's going to keep bringing us around to this. Prepare yourself. In his mercy, it will be the constant call. Prepare yourself. I'm coming back. Get ready. Your faith will be sight. Repent. Repent so I can restore you. So that when we stand together, you will hear, well done, good and faithful one. I believe that's your heart. I believe that's what you want. If you're online with us today and, 
and this is your first time hearing the gospel, I believe that's your heart too. I believe that everyone wants to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful one. But not everybody hears that. Hear me. Not everyone will hear those words. Not everyone is welcomed. Everyone is loved. But you have to receive that love. And repentance. Repentance is the fruit of receiving that love. It's not embarrassing. You're a sinner redeemed by grace. But there are sins that need to be repented of this morning. Knowing that this series was upon us and knowing where the Lord was going to lead me in this Sunday, I, I want you to know that I've spent time in this place alone, weeping over our past, as your new pastor, confessing the sin of old, taking it before the Lord, and receiving his forgiveness. I'm doing my part, but you need to do yours. This is not an ear-tickling message. This is a call to do something. This is a call to prepare the way, to prepare your heart, to prepare your mind, to prepare your body for the coming of our King. And so, loved ones, now it's on you. You have to respond. He's looking for an audience with you. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for your honesty. And so I'm turning you over to him. As the worship team plays, please do not walk out of here before you talk to him yourself. Please do not disregard this word. He is coming back. He is coming. His kingdom is here and it is coming. And it is coming in full authority. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Our king is coming. Are you ready? So loved ones, this altar is open. This place needs to become a house of prayer for a few minutes. And so I'm releasing you to that. 
So Holy Spirit, have your way. You have prepared this day and this word for us, Lord. Help us to receive it in the manner that you have called. Father, we bind the lies of the enemy in this place. That this is not a moment of embarrassment. This is not, this is not a moment of humiliation. This is a moment of love. This is a moment of receiving you. This is a moment of seeing you in your glory and in your majesty and knowing that we are unworthy. So spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.